again be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and we're going to be looking at it as the life in the Spirit. If you'd go to Galatians chapter 5 and I'll review some things here. Uh, but I do, some things came to my mind when I was um, singing and praying and rejoicing. I think, yes, um, we had decided to, in this budget, this six months budget time, to, on the fifth Sunday of the month to give to uh, young lady Heidi Wilkinson um, that my daughter had went to school with out in California. I had met her uh, in Jerusalem. Um, yes, that would be Israel. Um, and her mom and dad and grandparents, we all hung out riding around in a bus acting Gentile-ish. And I want to bring to your attention to help to offer some money for her. Uh, her ministry, she's in northern India right now. We'll be there for almost a year. Uh, and um, what we will give her is only going to be like extra spending money. And it's so ironic. Yesterday, last night I had uh, my wife and myself went down to Colorado Springs and met with some people uh, from the Master Seminary and from some churches that are in the Antioch Initiative that we're working through with Russia. And um, I'm just talking to one of the pastors, and, and I'd known his uh, music pastor. And we were sitting there talking, and, and uh he said that when he got out of school, he went to a church and served as for, with youth in Tehachapi. And I said, Tehachapi is not one of these places that you, huh. Okay, and I was like, yeah. Um, and I said, you're kidding. I said, uh, I know a young lady from Tehachapi, and I told him about Heidi and her parents. And she, he said, uh, I lived with them when I took the position at the church in uh, Tehachapi and he was there for about three years and uh, so uh, I just kind of chuckle at the humor of our Lord that uh, I don't know it's just so funny comical so if you think about dear Heidi um, you feel like giving thank you I'd appreciate it okay one other thing um, I would ask, I, I know many of you are praying. I'm going to ask you to be zealous and fervent in your prayer uh, on this starting a Saturday night worship service. First weekend in January is the date. Um, I've had a number of people, I've had a lot of people tell me that they thought it was a great idea. <laughs> um, that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, I, I don't want to split the church. I don't want the church, half of you, to come um, on Saturday night and the other part come on Sunday nights. That's not what I'm looking for. The Saturday night service is going to be what I call um, more of an overview study. I believe I can do the whole 66 books of the Bible uh, in seven years. And some people laugh at me when I make that statement. Uh, I said under the teaching that did the whole 66 books of the Bible in one year. So, um, to what degree, um, but, and I've had a couple of people offer to help, you know, with music and some stuff like that. I appreciate that. Um, I would, my concern is the people we're reaching. Okay. Most of you are, are used to my teaching. You're used to, let's get into some meat and potato theology stuff. And how does this practical, um, Saturday night will be more at, at stirring people to get into the book. 
Okay, and that would imply that you guys would have to bring people or to direct people to this position. Okay, that's what I'm praying about. Okay, that's what I want you to pray about. I'm just not going to do something because, well, hey, you know, I got a little free time on Saturday night. Why don't we have a church service? Um, that's not what I'm about. Uh, so if this is the way God is leading to it, um, I would ask that you be in prayer about it. Okay. Um, because I'm going to drop back into my old ways. We are going to focus on a small phrase in a verse over the next few weeks. All right. And a lot of people can't handle that. Um, oh, well. <laughs> Life's tough. Then you get hit by a bus. Okay. I just took. <laughs> if you don't believe me, ask Lanny. Okay. Um, listen, you guys weren't paying attention because we just did uh, 15 weeks on three verses. So, and I was going to make this a 15 week study. So, there's how my math skills work. All right. Galatians chapter 5. We are going to focus on the first part of the phrase. I'll read the whole text, but just the phrase, verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit. That's what we're going to focus on. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Father, we come to hear from you, your word. And Father, I pray that as we draw upon the things that are beyond our comprehension, Father, you give us ears to hear. Father, the Spirit and your people ring this loud to us. To your glory, we pray. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've taken a stop out of 1 Corinthians 12 because I wanted to deal with the person of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he is either neglected, sometimes he is quenched, sometimes he is grieved, sometimes he is ignored altogether. And I think it's a growing thing in the church. But what I, in my study of scriptures, I've learned is that uh, it's very common to ignore him and to do it ourselves. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at what I call our dependence. What do you depend on? Okay, and we started in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and it says, You've begun by the Spirit. Are you now perfected in the flesh? And I see so many in Christendom today who are doing just that. They began in the Spirit. How did you begin in the Spirit? You heard by faith. Okay, I see people who don't know what they've been saved from. How, how can you be saved? How did you get saved if you never heard the preaching of the good news? The Bible says that the only way they will be saved is through preaching. You know what? I can't find the other way. It is either going to be by the preaching of the Bible or the preaching of the Bible. In some cases, it could be by the preaching of the Bible. There is no other way. You can't say, well, I just felt like I needed something. Dude, I used to run with people who felt like they needed something. And we used to chase it all over the hemispheres because we felt like we needed something. Okay? We began by the Spirit. When we heard the proclamation of the good news, we were convicted of our sins. That drew us to repentance. This all happens by hearing in faith. We were drawn to repentance. We were all of a sudden given supernatural energy for a faith, a faith to believe in the Most High God. At that point in time, you were called born again. You were regenerated. Your heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh. 
God wrote his word upon your soul, even though you didn't even know it yet. You were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You were baptized. You were immersed into the body of Christ. You became a churchman, whether you like it or not. You were supernaturally gifted for the edification of the saints, which is the church. You were secured by the Holy Spirit as a promise of the eternal hope and glory of Jesus Christ. You were separated from sin and death. Now, let me explain something to you. That is all instantaneously at the moment of your salvation. Okay? What are you going to do to add to that? Nothing. So what happens next? Okay? Next, you, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because you were baptized, because you were secured, because you were separated, because you were regenerated, because you were given faith, because now you were convicted of your own personal sins, you now have an intimacy with God. That you can go to God who spoke existence into being. You can go to God who can hold the waters of, the, of creation in the hollow of His hand and the span of His hand is creation. And you can go to God and call Him Papa, Daddy. Because I have that intimacy with God in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can now understand the Word of God. When I read the Bible, it is alive. It knows my thoughts, it knows my intents, and it comes out and it just blisters me at times. But it can divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It can cut through the conscience and it can nearly go to the marrow of the bone. That's how well we can understand it. Because of that, I have a majestic view of the glory of Christ. Christ becomes the focus of my life. He is the glory that I look at in everything. Why? Because I am in the Word. Because I have an intimacy with God. Because I see Christ. Because of those things, the Holy Spirit now gives me personal guidance into the will of God in every aspect of my life. Because I'm following the will of God, I now can minister to other believers, through other believers, minister to me. Because all this is going on, he says, you can't do this. I will be your energy source. He will give me strength for this at every corner. And because he knows that we are weak because of our flesh, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The perfect Holy Spirit, knowing the perfect will of God and perfect intercession on behalf of every child of God. Even in our groans when we don't even know what we should pray. He knows the perfect will of God for every circumstance and the outcome. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all knowledge. And he says, I don't worry, I'll, I'm praying for you. And if that isn't enough for you, then I know that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding too. What are you going to do with that? You can add to that? I mean, do you have a system, a plan, a feeling? Let me guess, you have a philosophy? You have a psychology. You can add to that? I mean, I can stop right there, but I'm not going to because I want you to see the sufficiency of the Spirit. Okay? I want you to see a supernatural life. Remember how he started it out? Chapter 3, who's bewitched you? The word bewitched there in chapter 3 is, who's charmed you into thinking this way? Who's come by and smoothed you? Huh? Who's come by and said, hey, 
That's good. Check this out. Who's done this? Who's done this? Why would I even want to attempt to do it in natural work? Life. Why would I want to do that? Why would I think that I can go, okay, I'm going to go out and be Jesus for Jesus today. <laughs> I mean, I see people who think that their responsibility is, I need to act and look just like Jesus. Well, I don't know what he looked like. And I can tell you this, I haven't run into anybody who acts like him. Okay, you remember the little bracelet? WWJD? What would Jesus do? Dude, I can tell you some of the stuff he would do. And you know what? I can't. My best friend went on to glory. And I know what Jesus would do. Get out of the grave. I can't do that. And you know what? If I'd have done it, he'd have killed me. All right? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I mean, we need to pay attention to this. I would prefer walking with Jesus daily. Why? Because the key to everything in your life is summed in that little phrase in verse 16 of chapter 5. It says this, walk by the Spirit. Well, but, no. (laughs) When I get done with this, you're going to feel bad. Okay? I've already studied this years ago, and I felt bad after reading it again the second time. I want to share with you something. This isn't a new concept. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, let me read these to you. Okay? And I want you to think about, instead of the nation of Israel, I want you to think about the church. Okay? What you see in the quote-unquote church today. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory. For what does not profit? Be appalled, old heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters... To hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hand, hold no water. Listen, I was in Israel a few years ago, and I was down by the place, uh, a little settlement where uh, the, what do you call them things? Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Okay, and it was a little settlement there. And, and I remember on, on Masada, on top of Masada, I seen these two. And they had taken, boy, you talk about men with a mission, had taken these bronze axes and taken bedrock and dug out cisterns. Okay? I, you don't understand what I'm talking about. I am talking about an Olympic-sized swimming pool dug out of solid stone. Okay? Right? And I seen the one that had been an earthquake in the Jordan Valley. And this one, I mean, you got this amazing hole in bedrock. And right from corner to corner is a big old stinking crack. And the whole settlement had to leave. You know why? No water. 
won't hold water. And see what they would do, they would have these little ditches, little irrigation things all over the community that any time it rained, all the water would flow into this hole in this rock. And when that earthquake shattered that cistern, all the water that they could accumulate just by God's provision would just leak out the bottom of it. I got up on top of Masada and everything on Masada was forced into four cisterns. Huge, big old honking holes in solid rock to gather the water. That's why the Romans were so ticked off at them. They didn't have to come down off of this big plateau to get water. And the Romans were all sitting down in a god-awful place. I mean, I've been in the deserts of, 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 of America. They look lush compared to this place. This place ain't got weeds growing. I mean, all it grows is rocks and dirt. That's it. There's nothing else there. You think I'm kidding? There's not a bush. I, you know, this is the place where David went in the wilderness. Huh? Duh, David, whatever. One time into this place would have been enough to break you anything. Because there's nothing there. This thing would gather all the water. But if that thing's got a crack in it, guess what? It doesn't do any good. You know what happened to Israel? Jeremiah had come out. You had traded my glory for a cistern that can't hold water. They can't hold water. You know what I see in the church today? I see a bunch of broken cisterns. You know, and I can use all the metaphors. You've, we've seen, you've heard them. You've seen them. Okay? John chapter 7, it says, Whoever drinks from me. Now, this is what Jesus said. This is a red letter Bible. This is really holy stuff here. Whoever drinks of me, out of them will what? Flow rivers. Did you get that term? It's not squirt guns. It's not super soakers. Okay? It's not creeks. It's rivers of living water. And let me tell you something. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I always had it in my mind. We always think about the ministry. God, we think of ourselves as a glass and God pours himself into us and then as it fills up the glass, all of a sudden it falls over and looky, looky, looky. That ain't it, man. That ain't it. Let me tell you what it is. You take Niagara Falls and you take your glass and you knock the bottom out of it and you stick it down the river and watch what happens. You know what happens? The glass disappears. And nothing happens to the flow except it continues as it was sent. See the difference? You're not a glass or Jesus. He doesn't even want you to build a cistern. He doesn't want to fill you up and let you sit over and gurgle. He wants to pour through you. And he wants to do it in such a way that eventually you're never even seen. All the water a thirsty soul could ever need, just as Israel, just as seen in the church, as seen as some in the church, all the water, thirsty souls, I'm going to build a stone container to keep it in? Really? What's your size of God then? You really believe that there's a stone container large enough to hold the living waters of God? Okay? Here's the broken sisters today. You really believe you can turn to someone for help? 
They can't help you. Do you think you can turn to something? It can't help you. can't help you. From living waters to a broken bowl. And we did it willingly. The Galatians did it willingly. The nation of Israel did did it willingly. Okay? God promises everything. Okay? So does man. God gives everything. God, man gives nothing. Listen, three things I've shared with you in the past here, and we've been looking at them in and out and in and out and in and out. Three things that are killing the church right now. One is experientialism. I feel. Okay? You know, and it can be from music. It can be from whatever. I don't know. I remember a guy telling me, well, we share the gospel through ballet. And I just shook my head and said, God. He says, what's the matter? I said, I hate ballet. I'd have never gotten saved. And, and, and I didn't even want to get into the theological. So well, you got a bunch of people on their tiptoes preaching. But anyway, I didn't get into that. Okay, but it's experience. You know, I feel God. You know what? The bulk of my life, I have not felt God. But the bulk of my life, I can look back and say, oh, he carried my big old butt for a long time, didn't he? God of the Bible is not a feeling. God of the Bible is real. There's also pragmatism. I call it fill-in-the-blank Christianity. Okay? Give me a little workbook. Go to the... Fill out the blank. 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 I'm holy. Okay? And it doesn't work. You know, and it's... If you don't believe me, then why is there so much money being made in Christian publishing? I talked to a guy on Thursday, had a little discussion thing at the round table, and he said that he always, whenever he was dealing with spiritual issues, he just went out and bought a book because that's what a pastor's supposed to do. And he said he dawned on him, he had all these books on dealing with everything from conflict resolution to how to raise up kids and jerk down kids and all this other stuff. And he said, I had all these books. And he says, and that's basically what I was using for the person of the Holy Spirit was books. What does this man say? What does this woman say? What does this professional say? What does this thing say? What does that thing say? And he says, I shut off the Holy Spirit. I shut off the Holy Spirit. And the other one is psychology. Psychology is the world's largest empty bucket. Okay? All psychology comes from Sigmund Freud. Okay? Sigmund Freud could not practice medicine today in our society. And one of his greatest things for encouraging people was cocaine. Well, that'll work. I think that's a great idea. This is everybody snort a line and smile. Okay? I'm no longer depressed. I'm no longer giddy. I'm just smiling. Okay? And he wrote some amazing stuff out on paranoia. Well, you know what the side effect of cocaine use is? I've read paranoia. When the effects of the cocaine wears off, you become paranoid. So guess what? If you snorted a lot of cocaine, you would be an expert in paranoia. Brilliant. Okay? That's the father of psychology. And so I'm going to take that principle and plug it into the Word of God and what? I, you know, one of my favorite artists ever. Everybody must get stoned. I can't believe that kind of stuff. Do you understand that? 
That's the, you know, listen, you know what's tragic about that? That's the church today. That's the church today. I can't believe it. Okay, let me tell you something. Whether it's experience, whether it's a system, or whether it's psychology, they cannot, absolutely cannot give anything to spiritual needs. Impossible. Can't do it. There's only one way. I live on a spiritual level. I must live in the power of God. That's a spiritual level. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Spirit. Okay? Too many today, and maybe even in this room, too many in this room maybe today, are quenching the Spirit of God. Okay, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? Refusing to respond to His leading. God is leading you. He's pushing you. He's touching you. He's kind of doing one of these little things to you. And you just refuse and refuse and refuse, and you are quenching it. If you are grieving Him, you are in sin and disobedience. Okay? You know what the benefit of both of those are? There isn't any. There ain't no benefit to that. The Holy Spirit's trying to lead, and you're saying, shh, 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 don't bother me, I'm busy. Can't you see? See what I mean? Listen. Brothers and sisters, um, I have been in this church since 1983. I looked the other day at my little membership card, and it says, I've joined this band of people in 1983. Since 1983, I've not always walked with the king. All right? But in the time that I have watched this church... I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit overwhelm people and push this, place, this church into places that I cannot even imagine. We have done things out of this church that um, I get people calling me saying, I want you to come and, and talk to people because they don't believe what you guys are doing. And I say, I don't believe it either, but I'll wake up. That's all right. Okay, let me tell you something. If we don't stay in this text... And grasp this with every breath we get. The church is only going to get worse and worse. Listen, I love you guys. I know a bunch of you guys have servants' hearts. You're wanting to do a lot. I'm wanting to do a lot. I want to do more. I I shared this morning. I would like to make the Master Seminary part of our missions giving. They're trying to make it down. They're trying to get the, the Master Seminary is trying to get to the position that if a man or a woman or a man and his wife want to come to the school, it's a three-year school, they want to come, they can get in. They're qualified to get in the door. They want them, if, it, if they have to be, it doesn't cost them a dime. Okay? It used to be almost $90,000 for three years. Okay? But they house you. They, I mean... You're, and I mean, if you have your wife with you, your kids, it's all taken care of. Okay? It's now only $30,000 for three years. Okay? Here's the difference between this seminary and every other seminary I've ever seen. It is right smack dab in the middle of a church. Interesting concept, don't you think? A thriving, active church. So when you go sit and break down the books and you get beat to death, you walk out of there, guess what? It's right there in front of you. This is what we're doing. I would like to help that. How do we do that? I don't have a clue. So we pray about it. Why? I've seen this church walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have seen this church do things that is is amazing to me. But I will warn you, just as Israel decided they were going to build themselves a cistern, they were willing to change the glory of God. Did they not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, writing to the Galatians, is warning them what? 
Walk in the Spirit. Well, all right. And if we don't do that, we are going to go the way of the Galatians. We could go the way. Listen, we can be, we need to really guard ourselves between what I call the Ephesian syndrome. We got good doctrine. We got good works. God's blessing us. We're doing all kinds of things. But you know what happens? We lose our first love. Do you know what the writing of that letter in uh, 90 AD, within four years, that church no longer existed? In the end of the letter, so many warnings in those seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelations were, He who has ears, let him hear who? The Spirit says. The Spirit says. Okay? Human solutions to spiritual problems? Really? I mean, I could make that statement right now, right? And we all say, well, that's kind of stupid. And yet, how many of us grab a hold of human solutions for spiritual problems? Okay, now, now I want to show you some stuff here because you're going to freak out on this. Because when I drew these notes back together, I was just like, uh-oh, bummer. How do I live on that spiritual level? How do I get to the point where I'm not looking anymore at human solutions? How do I get there? I've got to go Bible college? Seminary. What do I got to do? You know what? I love you. Walk by the Spirit. That's it. Walk by the Spirit. Keys to Christian living. Walk by the Spirit. 22 points condensed in walk by the Spirit. Okay? A Spirit-controlled life is a triumphant, victorious life. Listen, only, hear this, only the Holy Spirit can harness the fallen flesh. Let's be realistic. Right? How well have you done harnessing your flesh? You can't do it. It just runs amok. Amok, amok, amok. Doesn't it? It's just everywhere. And every time you get, get, and then it takes off that way. Herding cats. That's your flesh. And if you ain't careful, a sucker turn around and bite you or claw you. <laughs> Let me share with you something. Now listen, I'm going to get philosophical here. And, and my wife hates it when I do this. She goes, oh my God, there he goes. Okay, because your philosophy is not normal to humanity. Okay, even your fallen philosophy was not normal to humanity. Okay, I, hear, I, I wrote these down because I said, you know what? If I don't write these down, it'll come out stupid. So I wrote it down, and it'll probably come out stupid anyway. Here it is. Are you listening? I don't care what age you are today. Okay? I don't wear, care where you are in the societal ladder. Okay? All of our difficulties are related to our flesh. Got that? Well, you don't understand I'm getting an F in math. It's your flesh. It's your flesh. That's all it is. Yeah, my flesh is stupid at math. No. <laughs> okay? Well, I didn't get this promotion and I just don't. It's your flesh. Listen, your wrong actions are your flesh. Your wrong words are your Flesh. Your wrong ideas are your flesh. Your wrong reactions are your flesh. Hey, your wrong emotions 
flesh. Attitudes, flesh. Every difficulty that you shall ever experience in your entire existence is your flesh. Listen, I've been changed on the inner man. I already showed you what we've been through. I showed you what we had instantaneously, and I showed you what the Holy Spirit's doing in His ministry to the saints of God. And someday, I'm going to be changed on the outside. I am. I mean, some days, you know, I'm going to look like Arnold when he was a kid. Except I won't be able to sin. I just won't stand. Look, he's a statue. No. Let me tell you something. You have anxiety? Fear. Here's one. Anybody here got a bad relationship? How about a difficulty in marriage? How about a difficulty in the family? Problems working with others? Hmm? Have you ever had a small problem? I know nobody's had a big problem. But a small problem, a little bitty problem with pride. Huh? You know why? Every single one of those is the flesh. Well, you don't understand. I have an addictive personality. Everything I see, I'm addicted to. The flesh. It's all the flesh. Go through it. I was trying to find something that would be a struggle in our lives that wasn't related to the flesh. And I haven't been able to. I mean, I was running out of paper. Everything is the flesh. So, we've got to find a way to subdue the flesh. All right? How do you want to do it? How do you want to do it? It's easy. Walk by spirit. Well, if you look at your outline, there is a command, there is a conflict. But I'm telling you the answer, and I really wish I'd give anything if it was more complicated. But basically all it is is walk by the flesh, or walk by spirit. Because you probably walk by the flesh. Isn't that a Freudian slip? (laughs) Okay, let me show you this text. I say... Walk by the flesh. By the flesh, walk, I say, is alliteration for this. And it says it's a command. Oh, by the Spirit. Sorry. 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 I'm still in a Freudian. Spirit. Spirit. Walk by the Spirit because you're walking by the flesh, fool. Okay? It's a command. It's basic to all Christianity. If you're truly honest with yourself, when you came to salvation, what did you do? You surrendered to the Spirit. It's not me. It's by Christ. Okay? Listen, if I walk by the Spirit, then this is the mind of God. Okay? If I'm going to walk by the Spirit, if I'm going to know the mind of God, then the flesh must be subdued. You've got to subdue the flesh. Okay, now I want to show you something here. It's really cool. Ready? The word walk. Are you ready? Everybody write this down. Progressive present tense. Whoa, I'm happy about that, huh? (laughs) Okay, it literally means it's a command to keep on continually walking. That's what it means. It isn't, I've arrived and I am now walking. No, it says every step you take, continue walking. Okay, and if you think about it, when you came a Christian, you were very young in the faith. You didn't understand a lot, but you just loved the socks off of Jesus. You didn't know a lot about Jesus, but you thought, man, he died for me. And we have two great big old holidays that are just all for him. 
Okay? I mean, my extent of theology at my salvation was I knew the 23rd Psalm. The only reason I knew that is that they'd given it to me in one of them little plastic cards with the obituary of my father on the other side. There's the 23rd Psalm. There's the old dad. And there's Tom and dad. Right? Okay? So there it was. Okay, no problem. So it's progressive. It means present tense means I need you to keep on doing. The life of a Christian unfolds one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step. At a time. Under control of the Holy Spirit. It's habitual, constant pattern, routine. Okay? And you know what? It is hard to start, isn't it? But if you think about it, if you've ever had kids or if you remember when you were learning to walk. I don't remember when I learned to walk. It just didn't come to you naturally, did it? You kind of had things to hold on to and you had to stagger around things and bonk your head on the coffee table and, and that's why God created diapers so that you had a landing pad. Didn't he? So you could learn. And then some moron built steps. I've just learned to stand and now you want me to go up and down? Yeah. And if you're true with yourselves... Then you understand that. Romans 8, 9 says, I'm already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. How difficult is it it to find the Holy Spirit? How difficult should it be to walk? The Spirit is in us. He is moving. He is leading. And we are simply to respond moment by moment, step by step, day by day. Walking means... By means of power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And when I get into trouble, what happened? I walk by the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it has to be an attitude of submission, don't you think? Because in your life, I, I, you're going to hate this, but I hate... I don't know how to say it. You're either submitted to your flesh or you're submitted to the Holy Spirit. Okay? You know what that means, right? You ain't the boss. You hate that, don't you? Well, I'm my own man. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and we can smell it from here. <laughs> but you are. I mean, I watch people who said, but I make my own decisions. No, you don't. You're either following the flesh or you're following the Spirit. And you know what? They're both very obvious. Both very obvious. What does it involve? Okay. Now, there, there's, what are the 22 steps necessary to walk in the Spirit? Okay. I'm going to give them to you. All right. <laughs> I hope you guys got a big piece of paper. Okay. I'm going to give them to you. And you need to go to Colossians to find it. Colossians to find it. All right. How do I walk in the Spirit? All right. 22 simple ways of walking in the Spirit. Chapter 3, book of Colossians, verse 16. Don't you hate it when I can get 22 things out of one verse? I'm not even going to use the whole verse. I'm going to be merciful to you all today. I'm just going to use the participle in the front or the phrase in the front. Ready? Everybody there? 316. Here we go. 22 points. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Stop right there. Got it? Walking in the Spirit is the same as 
letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. And it's literally the same present tense. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Okay? How do I do that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Being filled with the Spirit is whose influence? Okay, chapter 5 of Ephesians says, Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All right? And everybody says, Oh, what does that mean? Okay, it's real simple. If you are drunk on wine, whose influence are you under? The alcohol. If you are then filled with the Spirit, whose influence are you under? All right, so if I am going to be spirit-filled, walking in the Spirit, then there's nothing different from that than letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. They're the same. They're the same. As the Word dominates your thinking, it will dominate your, you ready, actions. Actions. Why? The Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit gets into your heart, gets into your mind. And that is how the Spirit directs your lives. I got some of you looking at me like, well, what's the other 21? <laughs> okay. Who's charmed you? As I spend time, as we spend time in the Word, you know what the outcome of that will be? Prayer. Every single time. Every single time. I have never seen it fail. Why? Because when I study the Word, I find myself needing to pray. And then there's times I find myself needing to pray that I better get in the Word. It's almost like you got one coin both sides. You're either going to pray or you're going to be in the Word. No. You get into prayer you, or you get into the Word, you will pray without ceasing. As you're praying without ceasing, you will be back in the Word. And guess what happens? Just start walking in the Spirit. When you start communing with the living God, you know what that is? It ain't the little cracker and cup thing. Sorry, I love you. That ain't it. Communing. Communing. Communicate. Okay? I am communicating with God. I pray to God. I'm telling God. Okay? And God talks back. Okay? Guess how? Through the Word. Through the Word. He explains it all to you. I went through some stuff. Anybody here been falsely accused of something? Nobody. Perfect. Um, you guys should all go to prison. Because everybody I ever met in prison was always falsely accused. And there's never been a guilty person in prison. Everybody I ever met was saved. I'm innocent. I just can't believe I'm here. Me either, dude. <laughs> I can't believe you're here because I'm guilty. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> you know, because my lawyer says, you know, you need to plead not guilty. And I said, dude, I got busted. <laughs> How can I say not guilty? Isn't that like lying too? <laughs> I mean, why do I want to make the people matter at me? Okay. Well, anyway, that's, that's a rabbit. Let's shoot that rabbit and we'll move on. Okay, if I'm communing with somebody, let's, let's, my wife likes to do this. Can you quit watching the sports or quit watching the, the news and come and commune with me? Okay, so every once in a while I'll sit down at the kitchen table and I'll just sit there. And she'll talk and then she'll stop. And she says, there's supposed to be interaction here. 
I, I just wanted my body. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm supposed to reply? Oh, what'd you say? <laughs> no. <laughs> and then she says, go back and watch your sports. <laughs> we ain't commuting. All right. If you're going to talk to God, don't you want to hear what he's got to say? Well, why wouldn't you get into the book? I got 66 love letters from the creator of existence written to me. These are to you. 66 of them. Why wouldn't we do that? How am I going to walk? You're going to study the word. Listen, I'm not talking about this stupid stuff that I see devotional readings of whatever. I'm talking about taking a book and saying, God, what are you telling me here? You know, I remember the first time I did it. Why is there four Gospels? I don't understand that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them said the same thing. Give me a break. Am I like that stupid? Then it dawned on me after reading all four of them. You're that stupid. But if you're honest with yourself and you look at it, you'll see one of them is king, eternal sovereign in Israel. I am Messiah. You see another one that says, you Gentiles, I am here to save you. I am the fulfillment of Jonah. Oh, then you see the suffering servant. What the heck was that all about? Because you are going to be my followers. You see what I mean? It ain't a complicated. Listen, people, I've never been to school. If I can finally figure that out, you guys can do it quicker than I can. Why? It says, God I'm, God is saying, I am talking to you. Why? Because I want you to talk to me. I'm going to talk to you. We're going to commune. And then guess what? One day you wake up and you look back and you say, you know what? I've been walking in the Spirit. <coughs> you know how I know that? You don't feel the desires of the flesh. Communing with God, you're in a position where the Spirit of God can move. You're in a, you go down a path and you will find that you are walking as He, he wants you to walk. Walking, mean of daily conduct. That sounds legalistic. Well, think about it. If you're married today, don't you need to know the daily position of the person you're married to? Where are they? What are they dealing with? Because if not, you will find out soon enough. I mean, it can get butt ugly quick if you're not communing with your spouse. Never in our lives do we arrive. Okay? You are on a spiritual walk. Now listen, the Bible teaches the complete removal of the sin nature in this life. That's what the Bible teaches. I hate that, don't you? Yep, me too. Okay, but the Bible never teaches sinless perfection. Big difference between sinless perfection and the removal of the sinful nature. Okay, let me tell you something about your sinful nature. It has been defeated, gone, been removed. How about sinless perfection? No. Why? Where are you walking? 
You're walking under the authority of either the Holy Spirit or your flesh. You know how I knew I got saved? You know how, I know everybody's, I had an experience that I knew I got saved. Okay, and everybody's, what? Right? You don't know what the experience was? And you, you guys are all going to look at me and think, God, here I thought he was a man of God. Okay, you know how I knew I got saved? One day, I used to be in the construction, well, I guess I still am. <laughs> um, and I used to build houses. Okay, and I was one of these guys. I had the little man syndrome. Okay, so I carried a huge hammer, a 38-ounce framing hammer. I mean, you could, I could hit a board and scare a nail into a board. I mean, I didn't even have to hit the thing. And if I got close to it, it just duck, duck. Okay, then I learned pneumatics, but that's a lot different story. One day, I was out building a house way out east, and um, I reached back like this and had, had rolled a, a, a truss up okay, uh, uh, for the ceiling rafter, rolled it up, took a nail and went, bam, hit right there. Okay, 38 ounce with waffle head on it. Okay, full swing back. Boom! You know, not one profane thought went through my brain. I fell off the ladder and passed out, but no. (laughs) No. There was no profanity come out. And I mean, I took a chunk of real estate out of the top of my hand that was amazing. And I, why well, was my hand there? Okay. I never had one profane thought cruise through. And this is a guy who worked in construction. Okay. Everybody loves Jesus on construction site. They all talking to it. Never had one thing. And I sat there and thought, how in the world did that happen? It's simple. I was reading my Bible and praying all the time. I found myself running around with a little cassette deck. I know that's, that's how old I am. Of messages of people that I had heard and, and I'd raid around and with them on and listen to preaching all day long. That's how I did it. God speaking through anointed men. Okay? So anyone who says it's without sin calls God a liar. We never finish the battle until we are absent from the body present with the Lord. Okay? But as a pattern of life, guess what? You can overcome what? Sin. Which one? All of them. Every single one of them. You can overcome it. There's only one way, though. It's a basic pattern of your life. And you know what? A basic pattern of life is spot, easy to spot, isn't it? I can see it. it I, I, you know, I'm not a theologian. The only way is to routinely walk in the Spirit. You have spiritual thoughts. Scary thing. Huh? You can't have spiritual thoughts. Listen, if you read this Bible, I'm, I'm with the preacher today. I got my Bible open. Where did he say he was? Okay, I didn't get that part. I'll read that little verse there. And then close this thing up. And you don't open that thing again until next Sunday. You're not walking by the Spirit. You're not walking. Spiritual thoughts, that's communing with the living God. It's intense. It's intense to have His thoughts. But you know what you'll find? Your prayers all of a sudden get intense. You all of a sudden start realizing you're dealing with the eternal destiny of souls. What? Yeah. Go to another text. I'll show you something. Uh, I love, I've, I've told people, everybody says, well, who do you 
classify as a friend because you have to have accountability and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, I, I do. I have very, my closest friend uh, is Paul. Well, but you got to have him. Let me tell you something. You go read Paul. <laughs> um, you, you understand accountability. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Our thoughts are God's thoughts. Beginning in verse 8, uh, Paul's in jail writing this letter. He was innocent too. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, he says this, More than that, I would count all things lost at the view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing. Knowing. It's a gnosis. I am going to gather information and things are going to become real to me. What is he willing to do to come into that knowledge? Count what? Lost? Really? How are you doing there, brothers and sisters? What steals the time that you have to read your Bible? Let me phrase it in Paul's terms. What is more important to you than reading your Bible? That's what Paul's saying. I count all things lost as long as I got time to know him. Listen, the only way, one way I know to know Jesus. Read the book, Genesis to Revelations. Okay? People ask me, oh, let me, let me read more of this. <clears throat> right? For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that means the manure pile, so that I can do what? Gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and what? The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being what? Conformed into his death. You know what that means, right? Jesus's life was definitely not based on the temporal, was it? There was nothing here he was worried about. Nothing here was he interested in. I'm here to redeem back creation. All right, now verse 12 is what I want you to look at because I get this question all every once in a while. And I, I, you hear it phrased many ways. You know, the other day I was searching my soul if there was anything against God and I couldn't come up with anything. I've lost my salvation. You know what? There's times when I have literally laid my conscience before God and I had no offense against Him. Okay? There's other times I've laid my conscience before God and said, whoops, <laughs> turn the light off. <laughs> Get that out of here. Alright? How long, if I'm walking with Jesus Christ, I'm spiritual now, the Word of God's dwelling me richly, I'm communing, I'm meditating, life is good. How long does it last? I can tell you how long it lasts. You want to know how long it lasts? So you take your next step. You may get two steps in a row and say, dude, I've made two steps in a row. You know what? You may even get 10 yards. But let me tell you something. Your flesh ain't going to give up. Let me just look what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that, which is... Lay hold of that for which I also lay hold of by Christ. And he goes through and explains what he's doing. And look what he says in verse 18. No, wait, I want to go through 17. Okay? People ask me about, you know, joining the church and stuff like that. Here's the only thing I ever ask of people. And now you, you know my secret. 
It's not an original thought. Okay? When people ask me about being in the church, being saved, or anything like that, I don't care if you're an infant in Christ. I don't care if you, I don't care if, you know what? You may be here today and God's getting ready to save you. Here's the only thing I ask you. Walk with me. Okay, why? Look what he says. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Pay attention to those. When you see somebody who is walking in the Spirit, grab a hold of their wagon. Grab a hold of their belt loop. Grab a hold of their coattails. I don't care what you got to grab a hold of. When you find a person who's doing that, clench on to them. You know why? That would be discipleship. Because what you'll find is they may have to drag you every once in a while and come on. All right. And then all of a sudden you get up and every once in a while you may wobble and you may fall down. But the person who's walking in the spirit will pick you up. He's not going to say, boy, what a moron you. He's going to pick you up and he's going to walk with you. And eventually you're going to stand there and realize I'm walking by myself. Shazam. I'm walking by myself. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to find people hanging on your coat, your pockets. Come on, get off of me. And then all of a sudden you say, no, God brought them to you. But I don't want that one. It's all right. And you go pick them up. And you're going to do the same thing that's done to you. And you know what? You can be walking and walking and walking and walking and all of a sudden, boom, take a big old header. Skin up your nose, your face, your chin and everything else. And then there's going to be somebody going to turn around and say, wait a minute. And they're going to come walking right back to you. They're going to pick you up and they're going to carry you. And that is the spirit-filled life. And let me tell you something, people. You can spot that a mile away. I sat with a room full of people today had more gray matter than I even know how to even think of last night. And I was absolutely one with them men. Absolutely one with them men. How's come? We're walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Paul says, I die daily. Paul says, I die. I have to kill myself every day. Christian life is just a walking life. Did you know that? What a drag. It ain't a running life. It's a walking life. It's a walking life. Moment by moment, step by step, yielding to the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Okay, I want to give you some things here. I'm going to go through a lot because I've, I've kind, of, yeah, kind, of, kind of run along. I'm doing pretty good. i got 11 pages of notes normally. I preach out of six. So anyway, um, Ephesians chapter 4, what is the life? I'm going to expound this one because this is the basis for all the rest of them I'm going to give you. Right? When, when, when I say you can see that life, when you're walking in the Spirit, it's visible. You can see it. It's manifested. You can see it. You know it. There's no doubt in your mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says this. Be, <clears throat> with all humility... Okay, look what it says, all right? Because it says in verse 1, Prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Okay? There it is. I want to walk worthy. I want to walk in the Spirit. How do I do that? What does it do? With all what? Humility, humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Okay, you want to preserve the unity and the bonds of peace? Read that thing backwards. It's not a problem, is it? In love, agape, showing tolerance, patience, gentleness, humility. If you have humility, who are you going to argue with? Nobody. 
So the walk in the Spirit, first thing, all right, I got a whole list of them here. I'm not going to expound the rest of these because we don't have time. Okay, but I'm going to give these all to you. What is the walk in the Spirit? Why, did, why does he get up there and say he can spot this? Okay, tell me something. Can you spot a humble person? Well, they stand out like a sore thumb today. Everybody's prideful. I mean, we're all worried about self-esteem. My self-esteem is bruised. I hope your self-esteem is crushed, shattered, obliterated. Okay? That's the problem in the church today. I see too much of you. I want to see Jesus. I stood at a pulpit in London, England, a church older than America, and it had, it's like a tub thing. It's like standing in a barrel. It's, it's weird. You're just standing there. You know, what do you want to do? I kind of move around and I could fall out of this thing. And then it's way up in the air. I mean, you're, they, they call it the high message out of the Catholic. You're up in this air and this barrel. But I, I laid my Bible down. My Bible was bigger than my tub. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. And I was standing up in that thing and I looked down and, and graven in this wood, beautiful woodwork. Sir, we would see Christ. I'm in the wrong barrel. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to build me a pulpit. Guess what I'm going to have on my pulpit? Not for you guys to see. Not for you guys. I want to look down and see. How much self-esteem can you have in that? Can't have any. All right, I'm going to go through these. All right. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. The walk in the Spirit is a walk of humility and a walk of purity. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7.17. This is the one that's going to get us. Okay, I'll, I'll say it from back here. Alright, ready? It's a walk in contentment. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It is a walk by faith. It's a walk by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It is a walk in good deeds, good works that God has already ordained. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. It is a walk that is different than the world. It doesn't look like the world. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. It is a walk that is in love. This is where I, I, I like to mess with people when they talk about you. You need to set boundaries. Okay, really. What was the limit of Christ's love? Oh, what was the limit of His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His gentleness? No limit. All right. If you walk in the Spirit, then you don't have to worry about boundaries. You just walk. Why? Because you're already walking in purity and contentment and faith and good works. You're walking different than the world. You're walking in love. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 says you're going to walk in the light. That's good. I hate walking around in the dark. I stayed in a hotel room last night and I got up and walked right into the window thinking that the bathroom was going left and it was going right. And I kept thinking, who put this in my way? Well, I, and I don't even know why I knew where the bathroom was. I just I had to get up and I just turned left out of bed and boom. What is this doing here? And then it, the curtains moved and I could see outside and said, well, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> All right. So you want to walk, you want to walk in the light, right? Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says you want to walk in wisdom. Third John 3 and 4 says you want to walk in truth. 
day by day. Humility, purity, contentment, faith, works, different than the world, love, light, wisdom, and truth. Let me ask you a question. How can experience, pragmatism, or psychology help you with those struggles? Can't. It's impossible. We've got to walk by the Spirit. We've got to walk by the Spirit. You can't produce this. A little bitty verse. Walk in the Spirit. You can take all of Christian life and reduce it to one phrase. Walk in the Spirit. You can take all the commandments, all the instructions of the New Testament, and you can reduce it to walk in the Spirit. And you will not carry out the epitomia, the lust, the desires of the flesh. Flesh wants to control you. Flesh wants you to have think bad. Flesh wants you to feel bad. Flesh wants to create anger, hostility. Flesh wants you to be bitter and jealous. Flesh wants you to... Have strife, division, envy. Flesh wants you to reason, to have fear. It wants you to be fearful of things. Flesh wants you to doubt God. The flesh wants to take love out of your heart and replace it with hatred. Flesh wants you to do wrong things. The flesh wants to fill you with life of guilt. The flesh wants you to destroy a marriage. It wants you to destroy homes. It wants you to destroy relationships. It wants to make you useless to God. That's what the flesh wants. And the flesh lusts all the time after all kinds of things. Interesting thought, huh? What are you going to do to overcome it? There's only one hope. Walk in the Spirit. Do you know what the human solution? Isn't one. Isn't one. How do I overcome the lusts and desires of my flesh? There's not a method, there's not a psychology, there's not any human effort, there's not somebody's good ideas, there's no clever plan, there's no system. There's no educational process. The way you overcome the driving, compelling desires of the flesh is simple. Simple. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Next week, we will find out that walking in the Spirit, there is a conflict. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because you have given us your spirit. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Father, I thank you. Um, Father, you hurt me as I went back through this. And I thank you. I thank you. Lord, it is so easy for us to get sidetracked, to get entangled. Father, we who gather this day, may we let your word dwell in us richly. The life of Christ may be seen in us profoundly as we, your children, called by your name, walk in your spirit. Christ, Christ alone. Amen.